Radical Reading Club podcast, where we explore thought-provoking articles and dive deep into their fascinating insights. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of this wonderful podcast, The Radical Reading Club. And today I'm super excited. I have Ines here and Ines is going to be my guest for this episode. Uh, we decided not to cover any article today. We are going to be just speaking about her experience and different things that she has been doing with the Sustainable Development Goals. Ines, how are you doing? Welcome. I'm great. I'm so excited to be on this podcast today. And also that we just get to talk and chat and hopefully teach something, but also learn something together. Yes, exactly. That's the idea. I'm uh, excited because I know that you have experience with these goals, that you have been uh, working with this for, for a while. So I would like to start just by asking you if it is possible that you can introduce yourself, tell us about you, what do you do, where are you from? The regular intro, of course. <laughs> for those of you who don't know me, so my name is Ines Yavar. Fun fact, Ines isn't my first name. Veronica is my first name. So legally, if anyone is trying to look for me, they won't find me as Ines. But anyway, all my friends and family call me Ines or a series of different nicknames. I was born in Peru, uh, which is in South America. And I uh, grew up there. I grew up in a family with my parents and my sister. Uh, my mom's parents moved from Wales to Peru when she was four years old. So I grew up in a household that also spoke English, which was a huge privilege, and in a school that spoke French. So I actually got to grow up learning three languages, which has also shaped like my vision of the world and um, what I am able to do, what I see other people do. And so I had the privilege um, after school of moving to France and studying there. And throughout my journey, I would say since the like, last two years in school up until today, I was really involved in, in sustainable initiatives. The first one was um, working with an organization in shanty towns in Peru, uh, which are poor communities that usually live on the outskirts of the city. I was growing up in the capital um, and working and building houses for people in those shanty towns, but also looking beyond that and seeing how they could be trained, how those people could get better jobs, uh, have a better environment to live in. Around the similar time, I also joined an organization called Loop, which worked on the topic of plastic pollution. So it was doing beach cleanups and uh, working, sensitizing about the topic of plastic pollution. And then when I left Peru, after two years of doing this mobilization, I was like, ah, I really need to still do something, but I'm like in a new country with new people, what do I do? So I decided to get into the fundraising aspect, knowing that those funds could then go to Latin America and support causes I was already passionate about. So I created um, an organization in France called Ensemble pour Techo. So it was supporting the already existing Techo organization, which actually exists in all of Latin America and the Caribbean. Um, and we started raising funds uh, for that. And then through my journey, I've had the chance of doing internships in other countries, um, doing exchange programs in Canada and Lebanon and Japan. And that, again, broadened my horizon to amazing initiatives that people are doing all over the world to achieve the SDGs. And I always struggled with um, the link between the environmental aspect and the humanitarian aspect. Um, and through the sustainable development goals, I was able to see how they were linked and how when we try and work towards one, we can reach the other. Um, and in all of those spaces, I was always supported by so many amazing people, specifically amazing women. 
Um, and so they acted kind of as mentors to me. And now in my job, I, I try and do the same, be someone that can support other young people that are leading amazing work towards achieving the SDGs. So I currently do that at the United Nations Foundation and who knows what I will do next. But for now, I'm kind of in this mission of supporting other people to do what they're passionate about to achieve a more just and sustainable world. That's a bit about me. This is very inspiring because I know that you're very young and probably you started this journey um, some years ago. And that's my question. Like, what inspired you to become an activist for the SDGs? Like, why did you decide to take action such as uh, John H.? Yeah, I started when I was 15 and I'm now 27. So it's been 12 years and you could still say I'm a young activist because some people start at this age, but um, I feel like I've been doing this for a while. And honestly, um, someone asked me a question the other day, like, why did why do you do what you do? And I was like, why not? Like, I can think of so many reasons why we should be trying to achieve a more sustainable world. I can't think of reasons why not. <laughs> and so what inspired me really was that desire to take action, um, that desire to see a problem and be like, okay, what can I do to solve it? And I was learning in school, so we had to do a project um, where we could choose any topic and do a research about it for one year. And my friends and I chose the journey of a plastic bottle. And this was honestly like not our passion. It was just like, let's research this and see what comes out. And we discovered that sometimes the plastic bottle ends up in the ocean. Sometimes it ends up in a recycling facility. Sometimes people reuse it. Sometimes it's governments that take it. Sometimes it's NGOs that take it. And so doing all that research and interviewing different people, going to different places, it was a very tangible way to explore an issue. And then I found people also tackling the solution. So that organization I mentioned, Loop, was um, an organization, the founder I interviewed. And then I was like, hey, can I help you? And she was like, sure. And so I stayed on. And she was one of the people I mentioned at the start, um, Irene, that, that became kind of a mentor to me. Because you have to trust like a 15, 16, 17-year-old girl um, is underage. So she even had to like ask my parents for permission to like have me come to these cleanups where safeguarding could have been an issue. And I didn't know this. This was happening beyond the, behind the scenes because she wanted to make sure I felt as empowered as I could to work um, on an issue I was passionate about. And it was the same in the um, space in, in the shanty towns in, in Peru. That was a psychology project actually in school. We had a psychology class and they decided that for one semester, instead of actually doing class, we were going to support communities that were suffering more than us so that we could kind of see how we, even with whatever troubles we thought we were going through, could help other people. And so we had to fundraise to build that house and had to do like a bunch of different things like garage sales and selling um, little cakes or whatever. And then at the end of the year, however much we had collected, we could build in our year, I think we were able to build eight houses among the whole um, uh, group of, of kids that were doing this. Um, and then it was like, once you know that problem, I felt like you can't stop like you can't just at the end of the year say, okay, bye, I did it. <laughs> and so although the inspiration to become an activist was like a moment, then I just continued that because I knew that it was an issue that needed help solving. And so throughout the following years, I kept wanting to help. And I think once you find that one passion, it can be one or many. And to anyone listening, if you haven't found that yet, I just encourage people to try and find something that you want to learn more about. And I can assure you, once you've found it, you won't want to stop. 
Yeah, I, I feel you because this is how I I am living right now. You know, like I found my passion and actually speaking about the SDGs is also my passion. It's something that nobody thinks about. Like I would say here in Costa Rica, when I ask even my students from Poland, I ask them about the SDGs and they are like, what is that? So that's what I want that I that's what I want to do with this podcast you know like that people start learning more about this and what can we do the most important thing here is what can we do that my students sometimes say like yes it's you know like knowing about the bottle going to the ocean and so on but what can we do like nobody talks about this and this is my next question can you share some insights into the projects or initiatives that you are working currently working what are you doing um, to promote, you know, the SDGs and the most important thing to empower youth. Yeah, definitely. And maybe to answer the question of your students first of like, what can you do? <laughs> um, you never, like initially, I was just picking up plastics. I never knew how much impact that could have. And in the case of Peru, like after seven years of so many volunteers picking up plastics, but we weren't only picking up the plastics, we were picking up the data and like seeing what kind of plastics are we picking up? What brands are we picking up? And we were accumulating that. And every year we knew like the amount of plastic, the amount of bottles, the amount of bags, the amount of bottle tops and so on. Um, we presented that to our Congress and the Congress was like, oh, okay, this is actually an issue. Even though the plastic had always been on the beach, like it took seven years of young people taking action. Um, and then they passed a law to ban single-use plastics in my country. So I have seen the impact of like, we might think our actions are so small. And I never started off thinking like, oh, this could change a law. Um, but so many people taking so much action actually led to, to that. So that's what fuels what I do today. Uh, my main job, as I said, is working with the United Nations Foundation. And for those who don't know, like the United Nations is a very complex system. I don't actually work at the United Nations. The United Nations Foundation is a foundation that exists to support the work of the UN. So the UN is uh, guided by what they call member states, which are countries, um, which makes it very slow because imagine getting a hundred and almost 200 countries or even 200 of your friends to agree to something like even if you want to have dinner some people will be like vegetarian others will be kosher other people won't like spicy it takes a while so the united nations foundation is there to help make things a bit more agile and link to the civil society and that's what i enjoy about my job is working with that civil society and by civil society in my case i mean young people um and so I currently work with a group of young people called the Next Generation Fellows, and we are 10 young people, each have a focus on their passion issues. So there's gender equality, jobs, justice, education, future generations, gender. Um, and um, they each support young people who have initiatives in their own countries that tackle these issues. And we call them innovators. And those innovators have come out with come out with cool ideas on how to solve issues in their communities and they mobilize another 500 to 2000 young people around the world who want to tackle these issues as well so i get to see that broad mobilization as well as those concrete solutions and ideas and to name a few for instance there's a girl called nohora who's working with indigenous communities um, teaching specifically indigenous women about climate change and how it's going to affect them and making sure that they're ready for that um, there's someone else all over in Malawi who is working on recycling and building bricks out of plastic. And there's someone else in um, 
oh, so many countries in Australia who's working on more research and development. Someone else was building a story lab in the US. And so all these young people who are taking action all over the world gets me excited because they're doing it alone, but then they're also doing it as part of a broader community that can help support, support them in their ideas. So that's like my full-time job um, is basically helping change makers. And, and in what's coming in this next year, we're also looking to build what we call a funders collective, which will bring together um, youth-led and youth-focused organizations who are always looking at better ways to resource young people and specifically grassroots young people um, to explore how can we do that better, not as individual organizations, but actually as a collective of um, NGOs that want to generate positive change for change makers. Um, and then I love still volunteering in other things and taking part beyond my job. I think I won't lose that. Uh, so recently, I just came off a call today, actually, where we were presenting the advancements of a project that we're leading in Peru called Blue Mood, uh, where we're trying to reforest an area of ocean in an area called Pucusana with macroalgae so that the fish population can thrive better. And that not, won't only better the environment and, of course, capture CO2, but it will also help the fishermen have bigger fish because if they're overfishing, then they have smaller fish and then they're gonna deplete the ocean. Um, and so it's also working with that community to make sure that they understand that the impacts aren't only environmental, but they are for them too. Um, so that's something we're working with a group of global shapers in Peru. And then with a friend of mine, uh, we actually also have a podcast that we started in the pandemic, um, which where we try to share about the SDGs, a bit like what you do, but we also wanted to do it in Quechua, which is one of our local languages in Peru. And we feel that many times SDGs information trickles down in different languages and doesn't reach all the communities. And so we tried to translate that into Quechua. It's evolved over time and we've actually paused it for a bit, but we're working on relaunching it uh, hopefully next year. Um, in a format that's smaller and that's uh, easier to understand for communities that maybe have never heard about the SDGs before. Um, and yeah, making sure that we're sharing also, because we don't speak Quechua fully, like we don't, we can't converse in Quechua. So we were working with someone who would translate the, um, <laughs> the podcast. And as you know, this is a huge job. For those of you listening, it's not just talking and posting, it takes a while. So um, yeah, we're trying to work on that too. Amazing. This is very inspiring. I was uh, looking here while you were speaking uh, for this next generation fellows and I saw your picture here and a lot of people. So it's very, very nice because, you know, as you said, uh, they are young and th this is something that I have noticed here. Uh, I'm speaking in, for Costa Rica, right? Like some people have just lost their uh you know like because people see the people see the news and there's nothing to do like uh, that's lost you know like it's 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 not something that we can do there's nothing to do and so on but then when you see this type of organizations and and programs and initiatives this is where i say okay we can do something there is a hope you know and that's why i i try to encourage people And this is this is something that I would like to to speak about. Like, for example, I know that you haven't um you haven't covered or you haven't worked on all the the SDGs, right? But among these uh, goals, are there specific goals or targets that 
resonate most uh, with you? Like you, you know, like you like to work more most or uh, you have more knowledge about. And why do you think these particular goals, the ones that you're going to share with us, are compelling, compelling for young activists? I will answer your question maybe half answered <laughs> because I I although I haven't worked on them all they are all so interlinked that somehow we have if we worked on one we have worked on many um and same on like young activists and I've met young activists that are passionate on all of them so even though I might talk about a few like there's and something for everyone in, in the SDGs I have particularly like as I said started off working on poverty so that's SDG one uh, which is no poverty. And then on the topic of plastic pollution, which is more on life below water, which is SDG 14, but also sustainable consumption and production, which is SDG 12. Um, and more recently have moved more into SDG 4, which is education, um, and um, SDG 13, climate change, <laughs> and also um, SDG 10, which is reduced inequality. Um, so there are so many that that I have worked or touched on. And recently I've been called on more to talk about the issues of health, which I think is SDG 3, um, and, and gender equality, which is SDG 5. So you see, I've already probably named like seven or eight, even just thinking off the top of my head about things that, that we've been working on. Um, and uh, the reason why why I'm I'm passionate about these is because in any of them and, and the goals are although there are 17 of them, they're broken down into sub goals and goals that are more achievable or that you think that uh, it's easier to kind of understand. Because if you say like, even if we're talking about gender equality, uh, okay, what does gender equality actually mean? And so if you look at sub target one, it's ending all forms of discrimination against all women and girls everywhere. Okay, that still is like a huge thing to try and achieve, but at least you're talking about discrimination. So where are we discriminating girls? How are we discriminating girls? Is it, and then it might link to another goal, like um, are we discriminating girls in the workforce? And a stat for people is like more than one in five women have persistent low income compared to approximately 14% of men. So 22% to 14%, um, there's a difference. So, okay, if we're talking about ending discrimination, we might be talking also about work. And then if we're talking about work, we're talking about SDG 8, which is um, good job opportunities, uh, decent work and, and economic growth, right? Um, and then, uh, then I can become passionate about something else. Recently, education, honestly, I was very much in the climate space and everyone has probably seen on the news, like, the climate movement and the marches and so on. So that's certainly something that a lot of young people are very passionate about. But recently I've seen a lot of passion, not in marches, but more in um, actions for SDG4, the one that's on education. And it is true that without education, um, people won't learn about the SDGs, people won't learn about their rights, people won't be able to learn about climate change. And so we really need education as a baseline for everyone to be on the same level playing field. And again, that can link to other <laughs> goals like gender equality. So um, the goal four has a sub-target, which is goal uh, 4.5, which is on eliminating gender disparities in education and ensuring equal access to education um, for everyone. Right, and for those who, who are most vulnerable. And I had the chance last year to, to live in Sierra Leone, which is a country in Africa, 
I had never heard of it even before going to live in it. And I got a chance to live there for a year. And that was what they were most passionate about tackling was girls' access to education. So uh, I was working with an organization called Restless Development that um, had a group of young people that were in charge of dispersing a fund. Like the NGO decided we're not gonna be the ones that decide where this goes. We're gonna ask young people to find a process and to find the organizations that are most worthy of receiving this or the young people and see and help their projects receive the funding that they need. Because many of the times, um, even though we can be passionate about a goal and we're trying to achieve them, it takes time to get the right funding and to get the right contacts to be able to build something. And I have experienced that with the organization I um, helped build in France the first year. And I don't know if euros will resonate with people, but this was in France. We only raised 600 and, and so euros. Okay, 600 euros is nothing. Like it's not even a month's salary in Europe, but it was like, okay, we raised at least 600. And now, okay, it's like 600. The next year it was still about the same amount. Then the next year it was 5,000. And so, okay, it was 10 times more, but still it's not like a lot. Um, and in 2023, so that just this part, or 2023, but we reported this year, we finally reached the 100,000. And so it's like, okay, we have seen that growth, but it took since 2015 when it was created until now to reach a number where we can be actually supporting major projects. And so um, all that to say is that last year when we were supporting these organizations, we could see how that funding really transformed um, what education what educational projects they could lead and who they could help and how it was helping the most vulnerable communities so i kind of went on a tangent there but um to say that all these goals if you've heard about the sdgs look also at the sub targets and that might also help you um to see the intersections between different sdgs because even in the wording they intersect with each other but also see how you can become passionate even if it isn't for a whole goal a sub target of that and how you can try and help achieve that that's very important. I think that you're giving us uh, an important insight to how uh, understanding the the goals much better, because as you said, it's not just uh, no poverty, right? We have to go beyond and, and see which are the sub-targets and definitely understanding that education is the, the basis, right? Like the root. Without education, it's impossible to go over the others, right? And that's uh, something that probably people didn't know. And when they, they listen to this, it's going to be easier to understand. So I'm very happy with this, with these insights. You were mentioning uh, about funding. This is probably one of the challenges. I was also about to ask you, what else? Like, which are other challenges that you may face um, when, you know, like trying to get to the goal? Um, of course, as you said, like, you know, achieving these goals is is quite challenging. There's a lot of things behind besides founding and, and finding the good resources and the good connections. What else is a challenge here? Yeah, there are so many challenges in it. I mean, funding will come up for everything, right? And even when you were saying uh, education intersects them all, which is something I said, Many people would argue that gender intersects them all because if you're a woman, you have less access to education, you're more vulnerable to climate change, 
um, you have uh, more responsibilities in terms, or you're less paid in, in, in your jobs while you have responsibilities at home. And then many people who are very passionate about SDG 13 will say climate intersects them all because if we have climate change, then we won't have enough water and people won't have enough food and people won't be able to go to school. So in that sense, um, although I have recently seen how education is really pivotal, they it, all- It never are, ends. Yes, exactly. Um, and in terms of the challenges, yes, financing is is an issue. Um, but at the same time, um, I was researching for for a session I was um speaking at at the UNGA, which is the General Assembly in New York, and um, I found out that it's estimated that between two and four billion dollars uh, are needed, according to WHO, um, in uh costs in health if we don't act on health. So like, we're gonna have to spend more money if we don't act on health systems to two, from two to 4 billion a year until 2030. If we act on health, we don't need to invest that money. And so sometimes when you're talking about money, we're like, oh, maybe it's expensive, but actually no, the cost of inaction is more expensive. Um, in terms of other challenges, specifically in the sector I work in, with, which is with young people, many times um, young people are already suffering different impacts. So they're already underpaid, for instance, as young workers. They're already trying to support their families, specifically in young countries, in Africa and Asia. Um, so they're having to leave school early. They're already in countries where they're suffering the impact of climate change. And so many of the times, uh, when we're trying to rely on young people and say, yeah, this is your future, like take action, we are. But um, many of the times this pressure is put on young people who are underfunded, undertrained, because also you need training and uh, support to know how to monitor your prog pro programs well, how to finance or find resources, um, how to manage a team, for instance, like if you haven't had project management skills, it doesn't come naturally to everyone, how to public do public speaking, like training um, is definitely something that is is lacking. And also, uh, I just mentioned it now the monitoring and evaluation, sometimes people have amazing projects, but then they don't know how to track that. And back to the example I said at the start, where we were tracking the plastic that we were picking, we could have been picking plastic for 20 years. And if we would never tracked it, the government would have never listened because they wouldn't have seen how year on year we were picking up more and more and different types and seeing which kinds. And I talked about the government moving to the private sector. We were also tracking what different brands we were picking up. And so Every year we were like, you're the top one polluter in our country, the second, the third. Um, and then some of those brands started coming to us to say, okay, this is a problem. We like being number one, but we don't want to be the number one polluter. We want to be the number one solver. And so now one of our biggest campaigns is working with one of the biggest supermarkets in Peru to uh, raise awareness on recycling specifically. And they've now put in recycling bins in their uh, supermarkets and then are raising awareness about other brands that they sell that saying like hey by the way these are recyclable so you should buy these instead of those that aren't um, because at least there's a process right um, and so I think collecting data is so important and, and, and kind of monitoring the projects that we have because otherwise um, the impact won't be seen and collecting yes the data but also the stories and I think stories are very powerful and on your podcast you you share people's stories and um you also read articles that have data and I think mixing with the two and sharing stories that are powerful 
with facts that are powerful is even more powerful if, if we merge them together. I'm happy that this project is is at least uh, doing something. That that's the idea. I mean, like uh, as you said, but I didn't think about these challenges. Like some of them, at least, uh, what you said, like public speaking, for example, training. This is you know, like going in front of a lot of people is not easy, right? And and this is this is important and tracking also. I I didn't know about this, and I'm happy that you are sharing this information with us. Um, I was also thinking about. Uh, social media, digital platforms, technology, how, you know, like, how do you see the role of this uh, social media in promoting the SDGs in also mobilizing young people to take action? Obviously, there is a big impact, right? Yeah, social media has become huge um, with our generation in terms of how we consume information. Um, and I think it's also helped change traditional media um, to pay attention to certain things. So I was talking about the climate markets before. I follow a lot of young people who are involved in the Fridays for Future movement. And of course, they're going out on the streets, but then they're going and posting about it on social media as a way to continue raising awareness. And then someone reshares it and then someone else sees it all across the world. Um, and I think it's just helped homogenize the access to information. If someone has a phone, if someone has internet, they have access to these platforms and they can uh, use them to learn. I don't have TikTok myself, um, but I know that there are people doing informational things on there. And now on Instagram, you can have reels. And um, it also helps organize and people mobilize and build campaigns. In my previous job, part of my job was doing that, was building online campaigns and having young people around the world join them because sometimes especially during the pandemic like what could you do you couldn't go out and build a house you couldn't go out and pick out plastic but you could do an online campaign and so uh, many of the times there are already frameworks like coming up in in november is is um the 16 days of activism which is against gender-based violence and so many times there are big entities like the un um women agencies um, that have already this framework of, okay, 16 days of activism, that's what we called it. It's always happening in November. Everyone knows it's happening. It's just on how you frame it to raise awareness about it. Um, and we, we built a campaign around that. And then COP is coming up later in November and then December. And so we built a campaign around uh, what we call the missing majority, which many of the times we speak about young people taking action. But when we go to decision-making spaces, such as UN conferences like the Conference of Parties, those young people aren't there. Um, yes, there may be young people, but there's a missing majority that isn't. And so we built a campaign around that, which is virtual and also physical, as some young people were able to go, uh, where we... Uh, generated awareness about those young people's projects, but also the fact that they were missing in decision-making spaces. So I think social media is a very powerful tool, um, but it's also a struggle as a young ad advocate and activist when you're trying to use social media. Sometimes it's overwhelming. There's so much information. Uh, sometimes we spend too much time on our devices and, and, and we kind of get sucked in and for someone who's not taking action might be like oh they're doing so much and so I always try and remind people like social media is a highlight reel and it's something that someone chose to post for something um, it doesn't mean it's their whole life and maybe you're only posting about the amazing things and so I always try and use my social media as well to post about things that I'm struggling with or that I'm going through so that it becomes more human again um, but it can be used as a great tool 
but we also have to be careful with it because in the end, human interactions should first and foremost be with humans and not with devices. Um, and so we should use it to highlight those human interactions and those human issues, um, but not replace them. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, I would like to finish this episode with, uh, you know, like a uh, last message. What would you like to to encourage young people to to know, to do? How would you encourage them to take action? And what would you say as, as your last uh, words here? Well, I would hope that with what I've said, you're already encouraged. And maybe you're like, I, I can't wait to finish this podcast and to go do something. And that would be amazing. Um, and, and my encouragement is always that do something, try something. Uh, you never know how far it can go. And um, for me, my first adopters were my parents. Um, and then it was my friends. Um, and then now it's become broader. And, and even uh, you and I met uh, through social media, right? So um, social media has now become a community as well. Um, and so I think many times people see that end of the journey and or not even end that part of the journey, right? I'm not at my end of my life yet, but it has been 12 years. And so maybe someone hears me today and maybe you're older than me and you're like, oh, my goodness, like I haven't done that. I haven't started. It's never too late to start. And so my motivation to um, do something is like don't see someone else's part of the journey as somewhere where you're behind, like we're not behind we're all on our own journeys and the best thing you can do is do what you're passionate about and again some things are trendy like a lot of people are talking about climate a lot of people are talking about education maybe you're passionate about um i don't know infrastructure like that's not something i know much about but there are ways to take action positively on that topic maybe um you're uh, someone who has a very technical degree and you're doing research on something like help make that research more accessible to other people maybe you don't like being on social media and you see everyone posting about things you don't have to be on social media to generate change so i my final word word would, would be that i hope that i inspired you to do something but don't do what i do do what you want to do as long as it has a positive change nice Guys, I am pretty sure it's not I hope. I'm pretty sure that this episode will help you a lot, at least to know um, what Ines is doing, what other people are doing as well, and uh, encourage you to do, as Ines said, what you want to do, what passionate about, but um, obviously taking action to, you know, to at least get to, to these goals and achieve them. And, uh, well, remember that you can find... Maybe you can tell us, Ines, where can I can I find you? Where can I know about uh, all the things that you are doing on social media or maybe on the Next Generation Fellows? Yeah, of course. Um, social media-wise, my most used social media is Instagram and my name on there is Inesperada, which in Spanish means unexpected, but also includes my name, which is why I thought it was cool. <laughs> um, And for uh, the work that we do at the UN Foundation, it's Our Future Agenda, which is kind of the title of our program um, that works with young people. On any other social media, you can find me as Ines Yavar, my name and surname, and same for the UN Foundation, Our Future Agenda, or Next Generation Fellows on, on Twitter and LinkedIn. And yeah, don't be a stranger. I love meeting new people. I love sharing stories. I love hearing from you. So please do reach out. Thank you, Ines. Thank you for your time and see you in the next episode, guys. Bye-bye.